God is good to us. Amen. We are in a series of lessons. We started last week that is titled The Partakers of His Holiness. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I want to encourage you as much as possible to be here for the whole series. It is a series where if you are here inconsistently, you'll get pieces and you'll still learn from those lessons, but there is something, it will give you a more balanced view because if you take a piece out of it and not have the whole thing, you might say, well, you know, I don't agree with that. But if you see it as a whole, hopefully we'll be able to establish this from a biblical platform and foundation. If we don't, then we're in trouble. So if you were not here last week, the series will be on the podcast. Last week's lesson is already there. You're able to listen to that and uh, either review it if you were here last week or listen to it if you weren't. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 10, says, For they truly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. It's talking about our parents chasing us as children. But he, being the Lord, is for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Not a single child likes to get a smack, but there is a purpose. Wherefore, or when we are chastened, lift up the hands that hang down, the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed god doesn't want any of us to be turned out of the way he wants us to be healed and walk with him and then follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord that is our text which we're beginning each lesson with through this series and uh just recapping on a little bit of what we covered last week because being holy is an inseparable part of who God is, it means that everything that He is is holy, everything that He thinks is holy, everything He says is holy, and everything that He does is holy. And we are instructed to be partakers of His holiness. We are instructed to pursue after holiness. And we are instructed to be holy from First Peter. We know very clearly from the Scriptures that of ourselves... We cannot make ourselves righteous or holy. You do not have the capacity to make yourself righteous or holy. We depend upon the Lord for that through His grace and His mercy. We read Romans 12 and 1 where Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And we also read some scriptures taken from Corinthians and the we put together a short list of some of the things that it challenged us to do. And that list included, firstly, don't defile your temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't defile your temple. Be holy in all manner of conversation, which means our lifestyle and our conduct. We're not to be closely connected with things that are the opposite of God. The Bible talks to us, talks to us about being separate from them. And when we are separate from them, He will receive us and be our Father. And I believe it's... 2 Corinthians 7 1 or 1 Corinthians I think it's 2 Corinthians 7 1 someone can help me if it's first or second but it tells us that we should continue to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness or things that defile us of the flesh and the spirit which lets us know that we are in an ongoing process we are to choose to grow into a closer relationship with our heavenly father by becoming more like him and keeping ourselves separated from the carnal sinful lifestyle that we needed to be saved from in the first place. So we know that God, that only God is holy of himself, that we are not. 
and that we become holy in His sight when we are filled with His Holy Spirit. And then we are required to be transformed. Amen. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That same verse in the New Living Translation says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So God is holy of Himself. So when He thinks and speaks and acts, it is holy because it's Him. And when we begin the new life that salvation brings us, and we rejoice this morning in our two baptisms and this, this couple being washed in Jesus' name, having their sins washed away by the blood of Calvary. Amen. When we begin that new life, we begin a process of continual transformation. It does not stop until the Lord returns for us. It is ongoing. Nobody, no matter how long you walk with God, can raise your hand and say, I have arrived. I am perfected. I am complete. Consider me and learn. Nobody can say that. We are all in a journey. We are all in a process. God is working on all of us and will do so until He returns for us. Amen. And He is working on us from the inside out. Luke 6 and 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. It lets us know very clearly that it's what's in that's coming out. And everything that we say and do originates in our hearts and minds. And the mind may be where we think about the thought processes and where that takes place, but our mind is very powerfully influenced by our heart, by our emotions, by our personalities, by our experiences. And in fact, scripturally speaking, the heart and mind are often used as interchangeable terms and are so very, very closely connected. And so before we are born again, B.C., we might say, before we are born again, our sinful condition produces sinful thinking, which then in turn produces sinful speech and actions. It doesn't mean that every time you open your mouth it's sinful, but we are sinners. We're not simply sinners by definition, we're sinners by action as well. Amen. And we need to realize that what God desires in us when he talks about being transformed is a very powerful contrast from what we were it's not just a mild adjustment it's not a little tinkering here or there but we are being transformed it's a complete change and to underline that idea romans 8 and 7 says that because the carnal mind is enmity against god for it is not subject to the law of god neither indeed can be same verse in the New Living Translation says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's, pretty, that's a pretty strong opposite statement. It's not saying the Lord would like you to make some small course corrections. He's saying we're on the end of the scale from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
This is why my mind and yours need to be transformed. Not once, but daily in an ongoing fashion. Because if my carnal mind cannot be subject to, will not obey God's laws, then it must die. Its power and its control must be removed. Amen. Because our minds are governed by, or at least powerfully influenced by, the things that we allow to access them. So if I want to have the mind of Christ, I must be disciplined to cut off the access of my carnal nature and saturate, I, don't, I think that's actually a great word for what we're talking about, saturate my mind with the thinking of God. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God will transform you as much as you allow it to. You control that process. The Lord's not stingy. He's not holding back. He's not saying, well, I don't have much for you this week. It's been a lean week. His Word and His Spirit want to transform us. And if you will allow it, it will happen. Amen. But see, your carnal nature and your carnal mind, or our carnal nature, let's not make it about me and you, it's us. Our carnal nature and mind is the default setting for humanity. That's how we come. And unless we deliberately restrain his access and replace it with something else, it will continue to consume our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. Have you ever had an experience? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever had an experience where you were convinced that your perspective or your thoughts about a particular issue were completely accurate? And then some other facts or some understanding was added that turned your view completely upside down. We've all had that experience, right? Well, we thought, that's it. No discussion, that's how it is. And then something was added and everything turned upside down. Our carnal mind is convinced that it's right. Our carnal mind believes that it is right. But God wants to turn it upside down. He wants to say, let me add something to that. The problem with that is it exposes the wickedness of our sinful humanity. And we don't like that because our carnal mind says, I'm a good person. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a bank robber. Uh, you know, I'm not this or I'm not that, whatever your worst sin might be on your totem pole of sin. And so we think we're convinced that we are a good person. But the Word of God says, unfortunately, you're all sinners. Amen. So let's at least for a few minutes consider where our thinking comes from before we are born again. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Say, that's mine. His own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, or when you allow it to have life, it brings forth sin. And sin, if it gets a chance to finish and you don't deal with it, brings forth death. And 1 John chapter 2, and verses 15 and 16, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So James tells us that it is our own lusts that get us tangled in sin, and that sin leads to death. John then writes to us and breaks it down a bit more, and he gives us three aspects of that carnal lust. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if, 
in Galatians chapter 5, if you, you read that later on, and we'll look at it in a minute, but Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list of the works of the flesh, or in other words, the things that are default to the sinful human nature. And then to, to use a more modern translation, because some of the words are a bit dated for us, this list includes sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, if you go home, I would encourage you to do this. If you go home, look up Galatians chapter 5 and go to, I think it's around verses 19 to 21. There is the list of the works of the flesh. Use your dictionary and look up the meanings for each of those words and then compare them with the other list, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you'll find that all those things that are listed in Galatians 5 will show up in those three categories because those are our naturally resident carnal lusts. Amen. So our unredeemed mind, before we are saved, is directly influenced by these sinful lusts and our pride. All, all, all sin really is born out of pride. It's born out of me. It's how the devil got this whole sin thing off the ground in the first place. It was about what he wanted. He wanted to ascend. He considered himself more important. And that, in a lot of ways, in, in many ways, the root of sin is pride. It's because it's always about what I want and how I feel and what I deserve and what I don't deserve and why I shouldn't be treated like this. And what I, it, it all comes back to me, really. Sin does. Amen. Now, we know that in our unredeemed state, we all have that carnal nature. Now, we don't always act on all of those desires because there are things that are socially acceptable behavior and things that are not. And there's also things like the law of the land. You might, there might be something that you really want, but if you can't buy it, you're not going to steal it, hopefully, because you know there are consequences. And so there are some things that put some parameters in our lives. And I'm glad for those. If you've ever seen in societies on the news when there's been unrest and chaos and, and the control of society breaks down, the real nature of humanity is revealed. There, there are some folks that are going around caring about others, but there's a lot of people trying to get their hands on things and not be caught doing so. Amen. But there's another source that I want to just divert for a few minutes to talk about. Another source that really powerfully influences our unredeemed mind, and that is our experiences. The experiences that we've had in life, because many of us were not born in church, and even if you were, it doesn't guarantee that you'll have just great experiences for your entire life. I wish that it did, but it doesn't. And particularly when we think about our experiences, the things that have influenced how we think about ourselves. How we feel about ourselves can cripple the blessings of being a child of God. It really can. The world uses the word self-esteem, and we'll get back to that in a minute, but the idea is having a good opinion or a high regard of oneself. And the problem with worldly self-esteem is what are the units of measurement? How do we decide what the factors are that make us feel good? Because if the things that we measure ourselves by are the things that contribute to us having what the world thinks is a healthy self-esteem, if those things come from the world, then their basis is sinful. Things like popularity, 
relationships. You know, you're not, a, you're not of any value if you're not in a particular relationship. Material success, career success, wanting others to like us, wanting the praise of others. They're all carnal things. They're, all, they're, they're not necessarily all bad of themselves, but they come from me. They come from me. They come from the lust of the flesh. And unfortunately, those things can go up and down in the fickle world that we live in. So our unredeemed mind has been influenced by our own sinful nature and its lusts. And in a way, our experiences have shaped our thinking about ourselves and about others. All of these things pour into your unredeemed mind and how, the, how we think. And so if we don't want to stay where we were when he found us, anybody want to stay where they were when Jesus found them? I hope not. If we don't want to stay the way we were, what is our role? What can I do? What can you do to contribute towards the transforming of our minds so that we can be the partakers of his holiness? So I want to look at the second thing first. I want to consider how we think about ourselves to start with, and then we'll come back to, to carnal desires. When we allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to affect our minds, we begin to understand that who we are is defined by God's Word rather than by the world system. Because this world is sinful, it's corrupt. And as, we, as our thinking is affected, we begin to hopefully find our identity in the Word of God. It's knowing that power and success are not found in how good we feel about ourselves, but in our relationship with Jesus and our reliance upon Him. And we need to be reminded, and again, that's what the Word of God is for, that when God looks at you, if you've been born again of water and spirit, when God looks at you, He sees you as washed, justified, sanctified. He sees you as His child with everything that that entitles you to. Amen. And the Holy Ghost and the Word of God are working on us, every one of us, to get us to see ourselves how He sees us. Because if we can line up what He sees and thinks with what we see and think, we have the balance He wants us to have. But if He's over here saying, well, this is what I see, but we're over here still being too influenced by other things, saying, well, that's not how I see things, there's an imbalance and he's trying to persuade us, but we've got other things that are, that are affecting us. Just quickly, a few things, and I've got a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to read them all. If you want them, I can give them to you later for these points. These are not humanistic thinkings. These are biblical concepts. Firstly, you are unique. Every single one of you is unique. God didn't make any two of us the same. Not even identical twins are completely identical. They're pretty close, but they're still individuals. God has a unique purpose for your life. Nobody can take your place. You are created for God's glory. That's scriptural. We are the objects of God's love. We are His children. He made the animals, but He loves us. Amen. He created us to succeed. Now, it's His definition of success. Sometimes our definition is I make my first million by the time I'm 30, and... It, that's worldly success. God's definition of success is being born again and serving according to His will and purpose. Whether people know or people don't know, He measures success. Amen. He understands that we're all different. He made us that way. 
Isn't it incredible? Even if you think of the people on the planet right now, seven, more than 7 billion, I think now, no two of them are the same. That takes a pretty incredible creator right there. You know, if you start writing out a list of all the different kinds of people you can think of, I'd probably run out at about 12. He's got 7 billion different people on the planet. Amen. The importance of self-respect, not self-esteem. Worldly self-esteem is not what we should be looking for, but rather a godly appreciation of the value of your soul and your worth in the sight of God. Amen. Because that doesn't change. The world goes up and down. Amen. We have to be able to love ourselves. You know, when I was at school, that was an insult. Somebody said, oh, you love yourself. They're basically telling you, you you know, you had a big head, you thought you were pretty amazing. But in a biblical sense, we, we have to recognize that God loves us, that he gave his life for us, and that we are valuable in his sight. Amen. And, you know, for some people, these things are easier to accept than others because of experience. Amen. When we love God and accept God's love for us, we can then love others. Amen. We need to have a positive mental attitude, not the power of positive thinking. Not, you know, just not some crazy positive statements when things are upside down, but a confidence and an assurance in God and His Word. God's people should not be negative people. If we're negative, something's wrong. Does that mean we don't have negative experiences? Oh, yes, we do. We could all write a list. But we should be positive people because our God is in control of everything and there's nothing He can't take care of. I'm not talking about fake positive i'm not talking about motivational speakers and all that stuff i'm talking about a a a godly perspective my god is able amen amen some of the reasons and this is not a complete list some of the reasons why we don't like ourselves personal failures things that have happened in our lives past things criticism or abuse from others things in the present lack of acceptance from others perceived or genuine Future things, lack of faith in God to love us, use us, shape us, and mold us. We need to learn to accept God's love, to express God's love, to allow God to help us release our past, to accept His forgiveness, to extend forgiveness to others, to uproot bitterness, to forgive other people. We need to learn to accept the things we can't change. Now, you may wish that you were filling the blank. You might wish you're six foot four and you're only five foot three. It ain't going to happen. Sorry. That's just a simple example. But sometimes, you know, contentment. Contentment doesn't seem like a revival concept. But if you can find contentment in God, you'll have a revival in your own soul. Because when we cannot find contentment with ourselves, as his we will never be content with anybody else they will always fall short of what we expect and it's rooted in our own discontent but the scripture says that contentment with godliness is what it's it doesn't say it's not a bad thing it says it's great gain it doesn't mean we stop wanting to change it doesn't mean we say lord i don't need you to work on me anymore but it's about that i am his child I'm content that He made me, that He is working on me, that He loves me, that my value is intrinsic to Him, that He doesn't rate me highly or more lowly because of how I perform or how I don't, but I'm simply His child. 
Amen. That's a powerful thing to be content as a child of God. Amen. So we need to accept the things we can't change to decide to change the things we can. And in everything to give thanks. And with the help of the Lord to find His will for our lives. Amen. So when we think about our experiences, and that's just uh, skimming the surface, but your, your experiences have a huge impact on the way your mind works and the way you feel. Amen. The way you interpret. So... Our thinking about ourselves can be transformed and changed when we saturate our minds with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen. It is an ongoing process. However, there are times, and many of us have experienced it and have seen it, where God spontaneously delivers somebody from some sort of bondage in their mind where God just does a miracle for somebody and releases them from something from their past and while a spontaneous deliverance can seem sensational this is something we have to understand the ongoing process of the work of the word of God and the spirit of God is just as miraculous we're easily impressed with the spontaneous but the ongoing processes of God are just as supernatural amen just as incredible as something that happens in a moment And the enemy of your soul wants to whisper those old thoughts to you over and over. Keep your feelings the same as they were. Keep your thoughts the same as they were. Now, if you're serious, this is the question. You know, there's something about human nature that says, oh, you know, I've got this issue and I've got that issue. But it's easy to say that. But when it comes to doing something about it, to participating in the process, if we're serious about that making all of that old thinking history, I can put it like this. We need to have the Word of God shouting so loud in our minds that we can't hear the enemy's voice anymore. Who's shouting and who's whispering? Turn one up and turn one down. Amen. Amen. We're talking about being partakers of His holiness. And today's lesson is about our minds because that's really where it all begins. That's the hub. So what things promote a transformed or a transforming mind what things can i add to my mind so that i can be a partaker of his holiness none of this is going to be a revelation it's all it's the same thing that's always worked always will first thing on the list is the word of god you need to hear it preached you need to hear it taught you need to read it you need to study it you need to meditate upon it You need to take your brain, as it were, and soak it in the Scripture. Obviously not literally, but you know what I'm talking about. You need to be be adding it, thinking about it. Lord, what is this saying to me? What, What can I take out of this that I can apply to my life? We need to pray privately and together. There's a purpose for both. Prayer meeting Wednesday nights, just as important as this service is on Sunday morning because there's something special about corporate prayer. We need to take time to talk to the one who is holy and to listen to the one who is holy. We need to worship privately and together. You know, if you, you're at home, often people ring me and say, I'm having a bad day, and I'll say, do you have any praise and worship music in the house? Put it on. Change your atmosphere. Impact your environment. Begin to worship God. See what begins to happen. Worship is powerful. 
Amen. We need to worship privately. If the only place you ever worship is here, what's wrong with the rest of your week? The only time you ever lift your hands is when someone can see you. You ought to to lift your hands and worship Him in your prayer room. He's there. He's here. He's there. He's worthy. We need to worship. We're talking about what what can I do for my mind. Healthy fellowship and relationships. You need to deliberately choose that the majority of those that fellowship and relationships are people who contribute positively to your relationship with Jesus, with His church, and with your pastor. That's not for my benefit. That's for yours. You do not live in isolation, however. You can't just say, well, I've selected these three people and we're just going to live over here and because they contribute positively to me and the rest of you can get lost. You live in this world. You go to work. You go to school. You've got unsafe family. And if we're all honest, we've all got family that we didn't choose to be related to. Most of us, anyway. If you've got a wonderful family with no problems, please adopt me. But the problem, we live in this world, but we choose who are the majority influences in our life. You do have to still, unfortunately, put up with your boss, your teacher, your classmate, your colleague, whatever. But they don't have to be the main voice in your life. It's, not a, it's a little bit like your natural diet. If you have McDonald's once a month, you probably won't die. Your taste buds might, but you probably won't. If you increase that to once a week and then twice a week and three times a week, it's going to begin to have an impact because it's going from being a minority influence to increasing. And that's how you need to govern your relationships and your fellowship. We've got, you know, we we mix with the world. Jesus mixed with the world. People say, oh, but Jesus mixed with sinners. Yes, he did. He had dinner in the house. He he ministered to them on the street. He didn't live with them. He spent most of his time with his disciples. And again, you and I aren't God manifest in the flesh, so you've got to balance that out just a little bit. He's not easily corrupted. You and I, on the other hand, we can be. So the majority of the voices in your relationships and fellowship need to contribute positively to what happens in here. Amen. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Same verse in the Amplified Version says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's Word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your hearts. Saturate yourself. Amen. Let's flip the coin. What things hinder or interfere with me having a transformed and a transforming mind? A lot of it's just the reverse of what we've said. Reducing your intake of the Word of God. Missing church. Getting lazy or slack with your personal reading and devotion and study. 
listening to all manner of varieties of teaching from sources that are not biblical. Ephesians 4 does not say, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and YouTube. It's not there. Know who you listen. I'm not saying don't listen to preaching, but if you do not know what that preacher believes, you don't know where he got his food from. Don't eat it. Amen. Just got real quiet. That's okay. That's okay. When we, what hinders us having a transforming mind? Not taking time to pray. Losing our love for the presence of God. Not hearing His voice anymore. If we're not hearing the voice of God, it's not because He's gone quiet. Allowing the appreciation to leak out of your worship. Things that affect our minds. Going through the motions. If you find yourself standing in church on a Sunday morning, don't look at your spouse or your neighbor, and you're clapping and your hands are up but your brain is elsewhere, put a leash on that thing and bring it back. You're thinking, what are we having for lunch today? I hope the boss isn't at work tomorrow. You've got plenty of time to think about that. When we worship together, it's limited, it's special, it's precious. And you need to take your mind, put it on a leash, and bring it under control and say, God, I'm so thankful that I'm in this house. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. Because you know what happens when you think about all those things? You leave church and think, well, that was pretty ordinary service. Didn't get much out of that. There may be a reason. Amen. Worship is not simply measured by volume or expression, but it's measured through the engaging of our hearts. Now, don't flip that on me and say, well, I don't worship with any demonstration because I'm just doing it in my heart. If you love God and it's in your heart, it's going to come out. It ought to make you clap. It ought to make you sing. It ought to make you raise your hands. It ought to make you get a little bit of energy and jump a little bit. I'm not saying that every service you've got to be running laps. But the worship needs to be expressed. It's like the man that said, I told my wife when we got married, I love her. If anything changes, I'll let her know. You got that kind of marriage, you're in trouble. You may need to say it at least one more time. There's got to be an expression. Amen. We should be expressive. You know, some people say, you know, we're all different. Some people are more expressive than others. And that's okay. We're, we're, not, we're not aiming to get some sort of synchronized exercise class going. That's not, I'm not being funny. I'm sure some people feel like, oh, I've got to do it because someone else. That's not, it's about you and him. But if you'll say, Lord, how should I be responding to your presence? How should I be thanking you for what you've done for me, for saving my soul, for washing away my sins, for filling me? How should I be responding to that? There should be something in us that rises up. Amen. Let's move on. Wow, 10 to 12. Unhealthy fellowship and relationships. People who contribute negatively to your relationship with Jesus, His church, and your pastor. There are people that can contribute negatively to those things. And where does that reside when they do? In our minds. If you are in a relationship or fellowshipping, with someone or someone's and you aren't comfortable with other people in the church or your pastor knowing about it 
you need to ask yourself why it's okay I don't need an amen I know I'm right because if there's a reason that you're keeping something why is that so if you're not sure ask somebody talk to somebody talk to me amen bless the Lord talking about things that influence the transforming of our minds let's talk about entertainment for a little while it's going to get real quiet now movies television music games print media such as books magazines as well as electronic versions like ebooks blogs podcasts and so on and so on your eyes and your ears are access points they are like wi-fi connections and whatever they download goes directly into your heart and mind I'm using some modern explanations we were on a youth missions team a couple of years ago and some of our young people were with us and there was a young lady in our team we were in a really remote part of indonesia and as soon as we got to any hotel she was like is there wi-fi here just was the first question it wasn't where's the bathroom or when are we going it was like is there wi-fi here that's what your carnal nature is like it's constantly looking for a signal as born again believers we are supposed to be downloading if i can use that expression from the sources we've already mentioned scripture prayer worship healthy fellowship we get that right we understand that but what we have to remember and this is sobering is that within that heart and mind that you have still resides a carnal nature it still has the lusts that are looking for an opportunity that are searching for a wi-fi signal constantly and entertainment is produced for our flesh to enjoy that's why it exists that's why it's produced it's it is appealing to our flesh now let me so you don't think i'm a complete nutcase it's not all evil but a very large percentage of it is because it is through the entertainment industry that we become adjusted to wickedness becoming normal the things that you will watch and listen to and see and hear they challenge the boundaries and then when you do that regularly enough it becomes oh yeah we're used to that and then when you get used to that they move the fence again amen so what originally shocks us becomes acceptable if you watch it and listen to it often enough now i'm not going to take the time to go through all the various forms of entertainment and address my concerns about each one look it has to come from your desire to please god i'm not coming to your house with a clipboard and sitting down and doing a survey of how you behave when you're at home it's your heart your mind and your god it's not about facts and figures i could stand up here for hours and present research and statistics about the impact of pornography and immorality and violence demonic influence and content materialism and all the other things that are found in entertainment and some of those impacts even our society acknowledges especially on the minds of children but if you want to be partakers of his holiness and look that's the bottom line do i want to be a partaker of his holiness if you want to please god then you've got to think about what you watch what you read and what you listen to and here's the thing galatians chapter 5 these are the, remember that list we covered before 
Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Go through that list and compare it to your entertainment. And then remember that everything on that list resides in our sinful nature. It's there. And if you download or import or feed that carnal flesh, how in the world do you expect to control it? How in the world do you expect to mortify? How do you plan to crucify your flesh if you grant it access to whatever it desires? How will you hear his voice if all week you listen to the preachers of entertainment? If I drown out the voice of the Lord with Netflix and Foxtel and everything else, how can I possibly expect to partake of His holiness? Let me speak to the young people for just a moment. Would you make a playlist? If you're older folk, that's what we used to do with blank cassettes. Would you make a playlist where you alternated worship songs and popular music? One after the other. No, you wouldn't. Why? Because some things don't belong together. Some things do not belong together. I challenge you, when you get home, just on your own, or maybe as a couple if you're married, write down a list of your entertainment choices. Write down that list from Galatians chapter 5. See how many connections you can make. And ask yourself, is this part of being a living sacrifice? Holy, acceptable unto him? I read an article the other day that was speaking about this subject that I thought had some good points, and I'm trying to land this plane. It it approached the subject from the angle of how we try to guide our children with their friendships when they're little because we understand how much influence friends have on us. The author made the point that if we watch a certain kind of movie or television series repeatedly or listen to a musician over and over, those people, in a sense, become our friends, and they influence us more than we realize. The internet, the internet is both terrific and terrifying at the same time. I'm glad we have the internet. It, I, I can look up things so quickly, find out how to get somewhere, how much something costs. It's handy. But you must guard your hearts and your minds. Parents, guard the hearts and minds of your little ones. Be vigilant. Do not be ignorant. Use restrictions on devices. Use accountability software. That's not just for your kids. That's for adults as well. If you don't know what that is, that's something you install onto your devices so that if you look at certain things, somebody gets an email saying you need to talk to this person. You may think, well, I should be strong enough to be able to mind. And maybe you should be, but sometimes the difference between you doing it and not doing it is the fact you might know somebody's going to get that email. Amen. I think if you're in leadership, you should have accountability software. Costs a little bit of money sometimes. There are some free versions. We can talk about that later if you want to talk to me. The, the, internet, the internet is sometimes called the internet superhighway. As parents, would you let your children play in the middle of the freeway? Why not? They're very likely to get killed. Will you let them play on the internet superhighway unsupervised? They might not die physically, but what can affect their hearts, their minds... They're spirits you may never undo the damage of. 
Amen. There, if, you, if, you're in, if you think I'm making this up, go and do some research about the exposure of children to some of the things on the internet. The figures are horrendous. They are terrifying. If you and I, I'm wrapping this up, if you and I want to be partakers of His holiness, we must crucify, not feed our flesh. We must flood our hearts, our souls, and our minds with His word and with His spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 9 in closing says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, or as a product of this, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name his mind was willing to die in his humanity which produced his exalting now god is never going to make you a god but if you will have the mind of christ and you will die to your flesh you can be seated with him in heavenly places he will lift you up not to be a god but with the resurrection power of the spirit of god let this mind be in you let's stand together this morning let's just lift our hands for a moment and just present ourselves to him say lord we love you jesus we're thankful for your word we're thankful that you've given us new life we're thankful lord that you've washed away our sins filled us with your spirit you've made us holy and righteous lord we've not done it ourselves it's from you lord god but we want to walk with you 